Hello and welcome to Movie of the Year, the only podcast with the science and the screaming to determine the best movie for any given year. Of course, this season we are doing 2019. And tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we're doing the Irishman. Ah, touch of the Irish. I'm your host, Greg. Joining me, as always, is best friend. Which one, which one of you dang old idiots won best friend last week? I think that'd be me. Oh my gosh, Mike, my best friend. These are, of course, my two best friends. I pit them against each other every week to determine who has the best takes when it comes to movies. And Mike, your takes have been so hot. <laughs> yeah, you know, sometimes you get you got to give, sometimes you got to take. I prefer to take without oven mitts on, keep my hands hot. Now, you won the Little Women show. Ryan, is that because you are an avowed anti-feminist? Y- y- no, anti-little people. <laughs> I think you watched that the was, wrong movie. You watched like the, the Thumb Wars style version of Little Women. You watched the Joker again. Excuse me, Joker. Goddamn. There's no fucking it, the Greg. It doesn't it slip in there though. Doesn't did, it just want to be in there? Did you watch the Little Women? Did you watch Irishman? I just watched Irishman. Irishman. <laughs> Good day, mate. It's me, the Irishman. Also, I don't know if this does matter. Ryan won Little Women. I couldn't remember what the last show we did was. <laughs> and and Parasite before that, Mike, but you got all the credit for that one too. So All I did was say I won and you <laughs> took it you took it like a champ. Well, I hadn't been introduced yet, so I can't I don't think I have been yet. So I can't legally, say anything. Legally you can't speak Ryan, but you can start speaking now. I, I I'm sorry that I've forgotten that you are actually my best friend. Goodness gracious. That's it's a the, bad friend move. The quarantine. Like I can't take you to the muffin store to buy you all your muffins as best friend i just have to leave them outside your door and you think that's a mic move and i for sure have quarantine brain like i i never know what has just happened uh, or what hasn't happened yet (laughs) (laughs) the other day i said to my wife i was like uh hey remember the other day when i said so and so and she was like that was was earlier today (laughs) she said it was earlier that same day (laughs) and i was like oh time is meaningless speaking of a meaningless amount of time we have all seen this movie before or is this the first time for anybody firsties okay and i Ryan, think that's three and a half hours uh a week is the perfect amount of time to digest that you definitely don't need to rewatch <laughs> or anything ryan we already had seen this movie are we the dumbest people ever oh fuck no i i thought this movie was good um I am so glad I watched it again. I watched it in fewer episodes than I did the first time, and uh-huh. I fucking love this movie. I okay. This movie has shot up to like maybe my top two or three of the year. Wow. Um, I cannot believe how, like, how easy it is to just sit there and let it pass you by. Mm-hmm. A lot like the life and the and these characters' lives, um, uh-huh. and then sort of once you sort of know what it does and how it moves and how it's like how it's pacing more I think it is a fucking fantastic movie. Do you do you think that the more episodes the worse you're doing? Like you're actually hurting the the rhythm and the pace he's set up? A hundred percent. I think that like I'm not gonna shame people. You know, we talked about this last week. We talked about Irishman a lot on the Little Women episode. Uh about how we just all get to choose how we watch, when we watch, what we watch now. Um but I remember uh, so many of the incredible reviews that came out about this movie were from all of these critics who saw it in theaters. And I think that in theaters, I think the three and a half hours would fly by. And I think that you really, the movie does set it up to be like one or two or three really sort of different movies if you allow it to. Mm -hmm. And if you don't let it, if you just take it all in, I think this being on Netflix was in a lot of ways a disservice. I think it'll still be remembered incredibly fondly but like oscar chances i think were blown because people didn't people watched it in chunks and it doesn't have the impact yeah i think chunks chunks is a bad idea and so is if any slow thing and obviously streaming is great home home entertainment is great especially in these times uh these uncertain times these uncertain times excuse me i forgot i should be a car commercial uh I want somebody to say chaotic times. I would prefer that. Let's just like In these start lighting things chaotic on fire. Times. <laughs> and instead of having like a pleasant person like redo the, because they're, they're just using old commercials with new yeah. voiceover, right? Uh, use chaotic and then have a instead of like that pleasant, almost British voiceover have a screaming jason manzoukas doing the like reading it and just in the corner is the guitarist from fury road (laughs) (laughs) things frankly are fucked all right but why not buy a car um what was i saying oh uh 
slow things in at home and our short fucking modern attention spans are a bad combo because even though my phone was there to take notes, I'm like, Hey buddy, your phone's there for other things. I'm like, no, no, it's not. I've decided to take notes on flappy bird, flappy, 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 flappy. (laughs) And we are going to flap right into the next segment. I cannot wait to get talking about this movie. And so I refuse to wait. We will come back in just one sound effect. The Irishman was decades in the making, in numerous ways. It began its development in 2007 after Robert De Niro read the book I Heard You Paint Houses and gushed to Martin Scorsese about it. But the two had actually begun talking about making a movie about an aging hitman in 1980. The film is about legacy on and off screen. It's the ninth collaboration between De Niro and Scorsese, the fourth film to star both De Niro and Pacino, and the seventh to star both De Niro and Pesci. It's also somehow the first movie to star both Pacino and Pesci, and the first time Pacino has been directed by Scorsese. And it is both the most expensive and longest film of Scorsese's career. The film follows mob hitman Frank Sheernan over decades, with De Niro playing him at 24 and 80, and basically every age in between. Really just a film about old best buds made by old best buds. So, gentlemen, I ask you this. What does the movie offer to the gangster genre Scorsese helped define? Is it just a career retrospective, or is there something new here? I mean, I think that, to me, the career retrospective would be more, like, um, I think there would be more Scorsese in it, you know? And, like, Mm. even doubling down on all of his old moves. And I can't believe how... He just, and what would some of those moves be, Ryan? Um, a lot of like slow motion walking to rock music, mm. and he he, he goes in, inside a lot of like inanimate objects. You know, like we'll be inside of a flashbulb as it takes a picture. Um, I think of the big like what is it, Goodfellas scene where it's like walking through the back of the club and walking past all the characters. The Copacabana yeah. shot, yeah. The Copa, yeah. Um, and it's a, there's a lot to do with sort of rock and roll editing and Mm -hmm. rock and roll camera work and i can't like it's almost completely gone which adds to the the length of the movie you know like casino is a very long movie but it's so full of all of this crazy camera work and uh all of these like uh angles that we have never seen before inside of other things one time a camera's inside of a camera and you can see the surrounding camera and the. you just see martin's face yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh my god no the the other way um And the fact that this is so calm and patient, you know, it's it's less of a retrospective and more saying that's who I was then. Mm. And if I try to do that again, uh, it's a lie. I would look like Blink-182. <laughs> Instead, I have to just do, make this movie now because this is where we are. And And it's not just this is where we are directorial and his, like, tricks or lack thereof. Like, so they were moving and shaking to rock and roll. But, like, these are old fucks. Even when they're young and call each other kid, they're super old. Uh, yeah, okay, wait. I, there, I have one one big question, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but I have to here. Uh, is, I, it's hard for me to tell. Is Russ older enough than Frank Sheeran to always be calling him kid? To have one 80-year-old man call another 80-year-old man <laughs> kid, it's just so weird. No, yeah, I think there's like a 20-year difference. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I, I think Pesci, Pesci, it's Pesci's old makeup looks better when he first meets De Niro than De Niro's young makeup look, so that is confusing, but I do think De Niro is supposed to be 18. <laughs> because I, I I think they did a really good job with a lot of the CGI, and I do want to talk about that, and I feel like I'm a big CGI baby on this show. I always complain about it, but despite whether or not it looked good, it made very it made it confusing to try to understand what people's ages were mm-hmm. at different times, I felt like. And then at times they chose young actors and older them up. Herc from The Wire yeah. was in as the oldest I guy know. of all of them. <laughs> That was. I'm Fat Tony Salerno. They used no CGI. They used like Saturday afternoon Hercules Xena level like makeup and effects for him. Uh-huh. They could have hired anyone. They were like, nope, we need Herc, and we ha- we're gonna put him in like a subpar Eddie Murphy comedy. Fat yeah, guy dude, costume. Hercules. Hercules. <laughs> it was like a melted mask from fucking uh, Chuck E. Cheese. That's what it I expected his first line to be. So I'm in makeup. <laughs> this Undercover. Is I'm gonna tr- I'm gonna try to use this sparingly on tonight's show, but the rewatching it, you're now used to the makeup. It's never mm-hmm. shocking, and uh, it's not exactly it's it's still a little confusing, but it's no it's never like oh my god why are his eyes like that? <laughs> yeah, uh, those eyes, the White Walker <laughs> eyes, and then you can you can pay more attention to what's going on around the characters and what they're saying, and then also you sort of get to 
think about why he would make this decision instead of casting older and younger actors, you know? Right. And I think that's all of that is so much more important than saying, like, the CGI is. Okay. Okay, well, so we're, so, we're so, talking about him and we're talking about this issue. So why does he do this? Why does he make the decision to do it this way? What do we get out of it? But, uh, so that's circling back around to, to before the, the tangents of the, the saggy faces. I think... <laughs> it's it's less a retrospective of directorial styles and more of themes, right? And before, I, th- I think there was... I think Scorsese, one, is obviously fascinated and does think mobsters are a little cool, but I think he al- always thought he was taking the violence to task. And I don't know mm. if the audience thought that, the way people fucking love Goodfellas and Casino. Uh, but this one... They are older, so it's trying to. It is reaching back to all of his movies, right? He's like, I'm using these same guys, so please remember everything they've been in together before. And this is the first time, like, De Niro looks sad while he does stuff, and uh-huh. I think that's very important, and very impactful. Even though he, like, Frank Sheeran doesn't know how to express sadness or regret, you can just see in his flabbergastedness in so many scenes throughout the movie. He's like, uh, uh, I know I was badass in the last scene, but now I have to deal with what just happened. And, uh, 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 and I don't know if Scorsese has ever had one of his characters do that shit before. And I think that is very interesting. Yeah, his relationship with violence over his entire career is interesting. Like, I, I think it's complicated. But I think that really the through line is, doesn't it look cool on camera? That's all I'm saying is uh, when I, I grew up and it was my favorite part of movies and now it's my favorite part of movies. And now Scorsese has, you know, given birth to a whole new two, three generations of people who say, yes, it does look cool in movies. Also, it looks cool in real life. I'm going to go do some or like that's that's the big fear. And I think that what he's saying is that we have to like at a certain point, we have to show the end, you know, mm-hmm. like we have to show the end of uh, all of these the, the, the movies that we've grown up on, they always die, you know, and mm-hmm. they, they get to this point. It's like, it's the Kurt Cobain thing, you know. If Kurt Cobain was still alive, he'd be like some fat loser, and we would not like Nirvana. Like and, you, Dave Grohl. Suck it. Yeah, fucking <laughs> Dave Grohl, move out of my basement, bro. Um, but it, it turns them into legends, and I think that this movie is saying they're not legends. I need to make this movie that shows that uh, if most of them stay alive, or if they do stay alive, then look how, look what happens to them. Right, because most of them don't. I think a, a cool trick is most of the times you meet a character to the point when they, it didn't say how somebody was going to die. I was like, I want to know. I need to know how his daughters <laughs> die. Like, just tell me how these people fucking die. Like the uh, six feet under finale. That's what we yeah. need for every movie. Because <laughs> e- even when in the, the first half is classic Scorsese, look how fun the mob is. Everybody's a family. Isn't this great? It'll be great forever, I'm sure. But by saying how they died and it's always very violent, you're like, oh, you're reminded as they look cool that they die a horrific ending at age 30. Like, like stabbed 23 times on his porch. <laughs> yeah, next to his wife and kids. <laughs> By 23 people. Was that Caesar? Yeah, that was, that was, Caesar. That was yeah. when Caesar came in. Before, right after he invented the salad. But um, I, think it's, I think it's really audacious to sort of, like, this is the problem with, I always go back to the movie Jarhead, who said, being in the army is boring, let's show that. And then they're just making a boring movie. And (laughs) I think that that's part of what people's problems is with this movie, at least on the first time. And I recommend four or five times watching it, uh, is that it it shows the boring side way too much. And I think it's completely necessary for everything that's going on. You'll be watching. It allows itself to be so boring so many times. But you'll be watching a scene that'll be like 10 minutes. And you're like, why? We really couldn't have cut this. And then 20 minutes later... Or by the end of the movie, or three weeks after you finish watching the movie, I just sort of realized, no, you could not have. Like, it was all important to what was going on. It, as one of Scorsese's, like, elements or, or additions to this, it's a very funny movie, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I think, I think it's mm-hmm. hilarious, and I think that what sometimes it's comedic scenes lack in uproarious com- comedy. Like, there's a lot of, like, Abbott and Costello, uh-huh. like, moments in this movie. I think it makes up for in... Some like these watching these dudes act like dudes and having no self awareness and being morons and hilarious. <laughs> yeah, so I think Martin Scorsese invented this and Sopranos may have perfected it, but just like the aren't these the dumbest people you've ever even heard of? W- one interesting thing about this movie, I don't want to go in on it too hard, is what what is the deal with having women in this movie and they are basically hardly ever speaking. 
specifically the daughter Peggy. What's the deal with that? That was so there were so many times Paquin was about to talk, and it looked like Martin was like, shh, 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 "Honey, shh, 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 shh. who no, 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 no. who gets screwed the hardest uh, as far as being a Peggy goes? Is it this or the daughter, the Hamilton sister? Oh, Skylar for sure, <laughs> and Peggy. Because when she does talk, everybody's like, "Please don't." <laughs> okay. I was thinking about this recently. There is a line in Hamilton where Hamilton <laughs> is singing about how much he loves Finally Eliza. Get into it. Mm. And he says about Peggy, Peggy tried to take a bite of me. No, Angela That's... tried to take a bite of me. Peggy, she confides in me. Oh, yeah. Peggy, she confides in me. When is that ever shown that Peggy confides no. in, in that Hamilton? One line. It's very secret. It's a very secret <laughs> relationship. Uh, I think that I think that the the girl thing is hard. You know, like it, it, it's it's getting increasingly hard to say. Well, why can't we just make a movie about dudes? Because that's what movies ha- always have been, and eventually that excuse gets old. I think that part of the point is that these people are morons, and part of it is because they they were in love with each other instead of the people they claim to be in love with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if, if they had actually been good husbands and fathers, they, they would have been better people, but they couldn't because right. they're morons. I do think, though, that his attempt to make Peggy the Jiminy Cricket of the movie is just the conscience of Frank. Yeah. is kind of a failure. Like he tries and I just don't think he fully succeeds. And I don't, I don't think if you're one, do better. If you're going to do that too, don't cast Paquin, like an actress, everybody knows is very good to not let her talk. And one, like she does a lot with her eyes. Cause that's all she's given here. Uh, and Peggy is the daughter who sees everything. I didn't know there were four daughters for so much of this movie. Yeah. Uh, so she's the daughter who sees everything. He calls one of his other anything. daughters. And it's like, who is this lady? Yeah, like, that's one of his other daughters. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Uh, and it just does, the whole time I'm like, why Paquin? Why even do this at all? Because it does feel, like, it, it, feel, it felt like highlighting how much I wanted to hear her talk and act against De Niro. And I'm like, just no, just not going to be able to. Well, yeah, I think what happened is, it's not stunt casting, but what it is is this person has so little to do that we have to bring in almost a ringer, right? We have, right. To, we, we have to bring in somebody who's so competent. But... Right. It, yeah, it sort of it, it sort of adds to the failure. I think the biggest failure is just that it's too on the nose and everybody knows what you're fucking doing and this should be a little more subtle than that. But it's also uh, like it's it, we need we need someone whose face we don't recognize. I think that would have made it a lot better, you know. And and like you do you have three and a half hours there's a story you want to tell, but you could tell if this is what you're interested in is the fallout of the cool gangster lifestyle, you probably could have more scenes and so it's not just Frank's story. Maybe it is also Peggy is a co-protagonist. Yeah, because I mean it's pretty clear that her only job here is to be disillusioned by who her father is. Right. And so then to reduce somebody to just that very like Ryan, like you said, the Jimmy Cricket thing, it's just I don't know. It, 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 I see what his point is with that, but it also fits very nicely into just not giving women, literally not giving women a voice. It, it's an old white dude's version of trying to handle his career better. Like you're, you're like trying to highlight it, but you're still who you are, Marty. Like I think, <laughs> Marty. I think the problem is though is that like so much of the first. This is gonna sound crazy, but uh, I believe this, and I think it's awesome. So much of the first two and a half hours of the movie is to set up the final hour. And have the uh-huh. final hour just kick the shit out of you and your soul. And I think that if more time is given to Peggy, if if, if she's a co-protagonist, then I think that that's co-tagonist? All, a co-tagonist. Then she's going to that's going to deflate all of it. And it sucks. I'm, it sounds like I'm saying less time for the girls, so there's more sadness for the boys. But I think that what what he was trying to do with Peggy is a screenwriting trope. You know, it's like mm-hmm. I read this in a screenwriting book, and he could have done it easier and more subtle and not wasted the fucking time of an actress how different would this movie have been if peggy were replaced by peggy hill uh if you're ryan you'd want her to die quicker in the movie (laughs) actually no i've been pretty open about the fact that uh i I, after a recent rewatch i maybe i'm older but she is nowhere near as intolerable as i once thought oh my god i didn't think you had have this in you You used to scream at me when i said she wasn't that bad i wasn't complimenting her i would say she's not that bad i i don't know if it's because i'm older or if it's because they went in and like smoothed out all of her lines to make them more appropriate for me but it's we'll never know it's really dale dribble like he is fucking i can't yeah, I, I would just fast forward through every scene he's in. He's fucking because awful. it turned out he he turned out not to just be a small weird part of the population. He turned out to be like forty eight percent of the people in America, and so it's not cute anymore. When we come back, just like we were gonna recast the movie, we're gonna recast this podcast. 
And we're back. Gentlemen, we have had a good run on this show, but it's time to kick us the hell out and get new people in on the podcast. Everyone agrees that this is basically the perfect lineup, our show. But what if you replaced us with sexy, sexy celebs? And not just any celebs, but the celebs of 2019. Yeah, I think that the biggest problem is is that this lineup right now is so 2020. Yeah. And, you know, what would like we're so uh, progressive and on it. And if it was going to be a straight up 2019 show, we'd have to take a few steps back. And, yeah, th- it might be better to have the perspective of some real big 2019 names. So you guys have both come with a list of people to potentially replace the members of the podcast. And I'm going to lead us through that. So let's let's start with the man himself. Let's start with Big Daddy Podcast. It's me. It's Greg. Who are you going to replace Big Daddy Podcast with? Ryan, let's go to you first. Well, Greg, uh, you know, you're getting up there in age. You may not That's true. be as like uh, as quick as you used to be, but nope. uh, you're still the king of the yep. show. Oh, yeah. You're still the leader. Oh, yeah. You're still taking us, us two scrubs to the promised land, mm-hmm. um, and the heart is there. Maybe, you know, last year used to be on Superhero Hour Hour. True. N- the heart wasn't there. No. You know, now now you have the fight in you, you have the energy in you, and you may have retained the title, regained the title of uh, GOAT. You're LeBron James. Whoa. Very strong, very strong choice. LeBron James, current Laker. Yes. If there were such a thing as basketball anymore, then LeBron James would technically be on the L.A. franchise called the Lakers from the before times. Uh, and also, one way in which I'm very much like LeBron, multi-talented, <laughs> right? Right? I can do a lot of different things. Um, my hair changes all the time. People are like, what's the deal with that? So I think that uh, we both acted uh, across from Bill Hader. I don't like to talk about it, but we both did that. <laughs> Mike, who do you think should replace Greg? And you remember, you're trying to come up with a better answer than LeBron, than LeBron James. James. Cool, 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 cool. I, I do think, I'm glad you said Big Daddy Podcast, because I do think... <laughs> You're glad I said that. I, I think 2019 had had a big daddy who, like, you could see he's he seems a little ruthless, but there is heart there. He does care. He has to make the hard decisions uh, just because he has a bigger view. Like, often is this people, Kylo Ren? People write and No, 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 no. He's okay. too whiny and young. This, this is a mature, older gentleman. <laughs> and Kylo Ren did not see the big picture. No. Uh, this, that was this, one of my patented jokes. <laughs> this guy... Uh, like you, everybody thinks is ruthless. Everybody's emailing in like, why don't you just let them be friends? Why aren't you all just friends with each other? And you're like, no, no, no. That would upset the system of the balance. You, you have, you're so up there and mature that nobody can see it. And I think Thanos uh, uh, is where you at. You got the big chin. You got the big, big daddy muscles. So either I am the greatest athlete in LA sports or I am the bad guy that got sad about rocks and killed half the people in existence. I think both of those uh, yeah. are minimizing what those gentlemen do. Both both those guys are like, hey, give me the rock. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want it. I saw a cool rock, and I want it, and I'm going to dunk it. Uh, definitely have to go with LeBron James. So Greg will be recast with LeBron James, and that is a point to Ryan. And Mike, you're on notice. I know. What happens? <laughs> oh, yeah, nothing. You just get yeah, a bunch just, of notices. You just find out that you're on notice. Yeah, you, just, you put them in your glove compartment, and they just stay there for a while. <laughs> and they shoot out cartoonishly when I open it to get my – registration or your gloves next next up we're gonna replace little mama podcast and that's of course ryan mike who should we replace the podcast mommy with Uh, i think this this person came in hard at the end of 2019 and it's uh they're a little weird it's hard to pin your thumb on them they're a little aloof they think they're smarter than everybody and maybe they are but the fact that they kind of let you know rubs you the wrong way at times but they are very interesting to watch they love musicals and sometimes sondheim i'm gonna say benoit blanc from knives out (laughs) (laughs) benoit blanc from knives out knives out a show that just barely didn't make this bracket correct yeah it barely and what did it lose to early on it lost to uncut gems right before we got to yeah yeah was that a horrible mistake that we made it's hard man Depends on the I day, loved I Uncut Gems. I loved Uncut Gems, and I think it made for a good show. That was the hardest cut of those early rounds. So, Benoit Balls, Ryan, who do you think <laughs> should replace you on the podcast? Well, I think about what I bring to the show. I bring the, the looks. I bring the charm. Mm-hmm. 
uh, I bring a lot of the skills that maybe Greg you don't cover. I know you cover so many of the skills, um, mm-hmm. but with Mike bringing no skills, I have to do a lot. I have to do most of the the dancing, the singing, all of that. I am going to cast me as all of BTS, and I am going to be <laughs> those uh, seven young gentlemen all up on this podcast stage, uh, just doing what they do. Because I think what I do and what they do is essentially the same. Now, there are seven of these guys. I think there's seven, yeah. So they, that means they've got, like, the boyish one, the bad one, the older one. But then, like, you're starting to get to ones that... The like, fat one. The, yeah. The, the one that always has, like, a bunch of lint in his pockets. <laughs> hey, ladies, it's me. <laughs> He's definitely somebody's favorite. I don't want to meet that person, but he is somebody's favorite. I feel like I could fix him. I feel like I could just get all that lint out of his pockets but yeah ryan that's you you are the seven guys from bts so it's lebron joined by all seven gentlemen from bts now mike he's like he's the little baby boy of the podcast he's just basically the son of the podcast ryan who do you think we should replace him with well i look at mike's attitude his tone of voice the way he treats people the shape of his head and uh how he's always screaming about what he drinks. Brett Kavanaugh. I think Brett Kavanaugh should come in and be Mike. What a fun person from the news to talk about. Brett, Brett Kavanaugh. Kind of having another moment here. Brett We're Kavanaugh. in a real fight right now. I like beer. I like beer. <laughs> what, you like beer? Head and Toe Bob. I just want to judge who always talks like his WWE match is about to start. <laughs> Oh, the Supreme Court. I have the wrong job application. (laughs) (laughs) I am sorry. I will see you in a little bit. Okay, so Brett Kavanaugh, potentially as Mike. Mike, can you think of somebody who would be an even better version of yourself? uh, Yes. Uh, So you said little... I I wish we got the introductions beforehand. I think that would help guide our choices. But you said the little baby boy, and I think of the... the, the, I'm the heel. I know what I am. Uh Uh, uh, to, To quote who I'm going to be is, I'm the bad guy. Uh, I think it's rugged physicality that makes people uncomfortable. So much charm. Uh, it's it's Brixton from Hobbs and Shaw. That's right, Idris Elba, the villain from Hobbs oh. and Shaw. Wow. Yeah. wow, good choice. I have to say, I did not like that movie. There was a lot that was like so cringy about that movie, but I really liked him and his cool pet motorcycle. Yeah, <laughs> you, you know they cuddle up at night. <laughs> and he's like basically got superpowers. I feel like they tried a little hard with the black Michael Jordan thing. That was a very uncomfortable <laughs> moment in the movie. All right. So, Ryan, what was yours? Brett Kavanaugh? No. I'm going to get Idris Elba. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like you could have said anything in one there. <laughs> so, that point goes to Mike. So, our podcast will now be LeBron James joined by BTS and Idris Elba. LeBron James hosting, of course. But there's a couple other people I just want to run through quickly. Uh, because there are people in our pod family. So what about Team Money? Who is two, t- 2019's Team Money? Uh, I think, okay, so it's everybody seems to like him, and then you realize how much he'll piss you off. He's way fish and good looking. It's Timothy Chalamet from Little Okay, okay. Uh, Timothy Chalamet, very good. I would say Timothy Chalamet in uh, Danny's flower dress from the end of Midsommar. That's perfect 2019 <laughs> Taylor. And that lumbering walk. How about Cassie from <sighs> Superhero Show Show? I've got one. Merritt uh, what, Weaver? Weber? Merit we- from Run is what she's in now, and she was in Marriage Story from But no, it is Merritt Weaver from Marriage Story. Somebody yeah, who always is trying to help, but is so bumbling awkward. <laughs> she and is like it. incredibly funny. I'm going to say Kate McKinnon as Elizabeth Warren oh, as God. Cassie. Doing that dance? Uh-huh. <laughs> you're just, you're an absolute tour through the depressing news of politics. <laughs> and how about our new, our new show pal, Tompkins, who was 2019 Tompkins? I have one. Yeah, go. The corpse of Philip Seymour Hoffman. <laughs> now? Yeah, now. <laughs> Philip Seymour is- Hoffman cutting in his current state when we come back we are gonna push aside all of these normal ass regular listeners who we love of course and just spend a little quality time with our patrons the fine patrons of the arts who support this show and what are they getting well let me tell you 
They're going to get their very own question, but also they're getting, I shit you not, trivia (laughs) when we come back. And we are back with all of our sexy listeners who we love equally and would never besmirch in any way that uh, any of you ever would, would know about. Much has been made about the performances of Joe Pesci and Al Pacino, but there wasn't a ton of talk about Robert De Niro. Does his understated performance help the movie or make you feel each minute in the runtime? Help? I, I feel like he's been a joke in just mocking his own career for the last 30 years. Uh-huh. And what, what this movie did, and there's two scenes specifically that are fucking mind-numbingly good. Uh, the phone call with Joe after he yeah. kills Holy Hoffa. Shit, yeah. And just his stammering and stuttering and like trying to play it cool and just cannot. And then when Russ tells him in that kitchen while he's just like calmly making a salad that he is going to kill Hoffa. Uh-huh. Those two scenes like, and there's, there's a lot throughout the movie, but those two are like, Oh yeah, this guy is a powerhouse actor. Okay. Let's take those one at a time. Um, the, I think that the, like the go-to in the movie is the phone call to Hoffa's wife. Uh, after her, he killed Hoffa. And also I think Peggy sort of knows as well. And oh, is sort yeah. of saying Peggy like, because he, point. because he would have already called if he didn't right. know that he was dead because he did it. But no, now she's being like that dickhead in your improv class that's just like, why don't you go do it? Why don't you, ta- you know, you stand up and go fucking make that call. I would recommend that if you have not seen this movie yet, um, at least for this scene, do not have subtitles on. I almost always have subtitles on when I watch uh, anything. And the amount of times that the subtitler has to write like muttering or stammering <laughs> really does take like uh, the punch out of the scene. Um, but it is, you could see the scene written on yeah. the page with like a lot of ellipses and how there's no way that that would have the impact of him really trying to figure out how the fuck to talk to this person. Yeah. This is, this is in his like, uh, you know, like lifetime achievement award reel that they play. Like it is that I yeah. didn't think that he had it in him anymore. And maybe he doesn't have the screaming anymore, mm-hmm. but this was something that I never gave him credit for, and he fucking kills and it. And keep in mind, like when we talk about how his performances have, got, performances have gotten really bad, he was in Joker in 2019, and he is like arguably the worst part of that movie. Like he seems completely yeah. lost the entire time. Mike, when Mike said that, it made me think that like he made fun of his career before we could. You know, like he tried to like beat us to the joke. <laughs> and that's fine. Keep making dirty bad grandpa movies and these comedies that like aren't that funny if you can just do one of these every year as well that's i'm totally fine just every year you old man (laughs) and then the other the other one is the joe pesci is cooking yeah and him trying to remember all of the rules that's what you see on his face is that there are russell buffalino mob rules and there are hoffa rules and there are and this is why like this is why the performance is great there's trying to remember what it's like to be a human being rules because uh-huh. he's he's not he really just wasn't born a human being and he has to like every smile is forced if like if he's in a social situation where he's supposed to smile he has to remember to smile mm-hmm. like these are all things that make him pretty good at being a mobster but all of that coming together in this scene the the respect between russell the respect between hoffa the, like he realizes that his power is finally limited you know he kept climbing this ladder and now he has hit the top and there's no choice like yeah. That might be better pound for pound than the stammering phone scene. There's there's two of his best friends in this movie who have helped him out throughout most of his life, and now one of them is saying kill the other one. And he's just like, the, the whole time I was watching, I was like, who is the higher power? Is it the mob or is it Hoff? And you're like, oh, no, it's clearly the mob. See, okay. And this is Frank realizing that. Do you know, Mike, do you know how you're going to respond when Greg comes to us with that same exact thing? <laughs> yes, yes, I do. The, to me, the crazy thing is that there's so much of the movie – establishes that the mob is way bigger than jimmy hoffa Mm -hmm. and jimmy hoffa's just absolute refusal to accept it that like and that's what one thing i think is crazy about this movie is the first thing he ever says to frank is i hear you paint houses so jimmy hoffa when he's introduced to frank it's like he knows that frank is a murderer and he knows that he's a murderer for the mob so like that's as mob as you can possibly get right the one that actually kills people for them and yet for whatever reason, he never seems to take the mob seriously after that, even though they're like, they're like three different times where they're like, okay, it sounds rude to say this, but we're going to have to say like, we're going to kill you if you don't stop doing this. And then he's, and then like at one point, it's so clear. He basically says to Frank, Jimmy Hoffa says to Frank, like, 
I it's my it's my union. I can't like I just can't. Mm-hmm. He well, also apparently has like this basket of blackmail somewhere uh-huh. just yeah. like send to the FBI, and then also he is just. He's a rock star. Like he really does think that he's above it all. Yeah, I think that's the 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 allure of power. Even if it's power the mob helped you get and or keep, uh, you think you're in charge. But it's also, I think at this point, him and Frank have been buddies for like ten, fifteen years. Like a long time goes by, long enough that you forget how you met. Yeah. So that who really owns this guy? And I mean, Hoffa. Uh, there's there's reasons why Peggy respects Hoffa and not you know his her criminal father and his friends. Um, I don't know if it's because Hoffa just wears his shittiness more on his sleeve he's just a more genuine person um but like the way the way that he talks to people it's all of those old school rules one of my favorite scenes in the movie is he dresses down his entire crew and says you guys are fucking cocksucker baby assholes and just knows that he can do it he knows that he can do everything and then frank storms out like a baby you know like (laughs) (laughs) proving what hoffa was saying and then hoffa has to run out and say like no that's just how we talk you know like he, Hoffa just thinks that you won't be respected unless you're mm-hmm. you're the one screaming at everyone. And he also made it clear he's like, I didn't even see that. There's, did you see yeah. how many people were in that room? I didn't know you were in that room. That is the <laughs> that, that's the most like bald faced lie you could possibly. Tell. I didn't know you were in the room. Okay, there's like ten dudes in that room, and you're yelling at all your subordinates, and he's one of them. Isn't it that Hoffa, like all his violence, all of Hoffa's violence is this screaming and yelling and bombast and waving his arms, and the mob. They don't really raise their voices mm. all that much. Even Tony Pro, when he's saying like things that are like dripping with venom, he doesn't actually yell. He mm. just sort of says it through gritted teeth. And that sort of contrast between the bombast and violence of speech and the violence of just like, no, dude, like this is violence, violence. Right. We will stab you in front of your kids on your porch. I think that the other thing that like separates De Niro and at least Pacino's performance and their characters is... Is, I don't. I don't think Hoffa's a sociopath. I do think that Frank might be. Yeah. Um, and like <laughs> Frank can. Yeah. Frank really. <laughs> I just. I don't want to armchair psychiatrist, but he might be. Uh, I think not having any color in your eyes may just lead you to be a, a psychopath. But uh, Frank can be okay being alone, and Hoffa absolutely cannot. And like he he feeds off other people. He feeds off liking other people and other people liking him. Mm-hmm. And you know the whole door being open thing is i think a big part of the movie about what stage you are and what type of character you are and that's also what draws people to hoffa and allows de niro to just be more understated you know i think there's something very interesting about hoffa's like obsession with ice cream and then later chili dogs uh (laughs) tony pro likes fashion like like there's these very human things frank has none of that frank has no human interest or obsession and He's we just don't, we don't even see a like, golem who goes from place to place. And yeah, like, and we don't even see why he never even talks about like I wanted the power, I wanted the mm. prestige, I wanted the money. We never see for the guy it's, that's supposed to be the main character of this movie. We never see like why he does this or what it. He's means just a terminator. He just yeah. moves forward. It's a chance meeting first with Russ, and then when they rerun into him, it's just different people say you should do this, and he goes, oh, oh yeah, okay. I I, I do think it's uh, that the master sort of did this, but there there hasn't been that many movies that explore like how fucked up world war ii made people uh-huh and yeah and this is definitely that like he is a killer because of world war ii and, and so, so when he got he home like, and people said go yeah. kill these guys he's like well i've killed he's like, folks. Oh, thank god i know how to do that like i don't know how to be with my wife and daughters but i can definitely kill people i mean and that's i mean that's another question that this movie brings up is is was he good at world war ii because he's frank mm-hmm. or did world war ii create frank right yeah. being good at world war ii i bet that was a that's a good <laughs> skill to have back then um, but yeah, like what we're saying is those murders, like they, those were prisoners of war, you know, and they, uh, were under his control and he shot them point blank and was probably a hero for it. Probably got an award. And then he gets home and does the same thing. As far as he is concerned, it's the exact same right. thing. And we're like, no, that's naughty. You're, they, they weren't, you know, those were Americans or whatever reason we say that this is good and this is bad. Right. And that can make you. I can see how that might make you crazy or help you get go down the crazy path you were already on. Uh oh! You know what that sound means? We are entering the speed round, gentlemen. Is this the first movie that shows how being an assassin is actually pretty uncool? Yeah, so boring and methodical. 
hours of driving and looking at maps. I bet it'd be better now. There's music and podcasts and GPS, but you have to really learn the map. And then your boss just says, drive eight hours and then drive back. And you just have to go, yup. And I'm thinking <laughs> of like Jason Statham or like Agent 47 or like all these really mm-hmm. cool like uh, Renault from The Professional. Like, There's no time like- to fucking hook up. <laughs> There's no time to club. <laughs> The second they get that assassination job, they're like, all right, suit store. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. And Frank has – I would say that the most delighted we see, like the most like characterized hobby that he has is when he does have to plan that trip. And he's like, let's get the Thomas guides <laughs> yeah. out. We're he's making a map. old dad. That's such a classic dad <laughs> move. Now I'm worried my dad might have been an assassin. I thought that was a really interesting move the movie made, which is that like these killings are like uh, basically as mundane as they could be because it's your friend that kills you all the time. So he, you see him and you're like, hey, how you doing? And he just walks up to you and shoots you twice in the face. And so it's just like, it's like a chore. It's like, a, how well, do I want to go? I think that most of the dialogue time in like Casino and Goodfellas went into the narration. They really wanted to have that like flashy mm-hmm. voiceover. And this takes it all away because the way he talks about killing and what guns to use and all that is akin to like a... Uh, rebuilding a house show on PBS. Yeah. You know, it's just it's, like here. That, that scene where he was picking the gun and it was like a process of elimination instead of like most, that, like so the men in black scene, like, look what we got. And he's just like, no, 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 here's what this is. And yeah. Like, it's very, yeah. But in a way that Frank is not funny at all, but I think Marty is in the movie is, is when Russell's like, oh, that guy crossed the line. I don't know. I think we got to do something. And then cut to the hotel bed. All the guns are out. Yeah. Yeah. Here we go. You know, it's but, go time. Anytime anybody says around Frank, like something should happen, so many times in the movie they're like, no, 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 like because yeah. they just know if he means anything should happen, it's go kill someone. He needs one of those uh, like uh, coily things that people have their kids on at amusement parks. <laughs> just like, whoop, 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 come back, Frank. Hey, you know it's meant- uh, it's Tony's birthday on Sunday. We ought to do something. All right, you want me to go whack Tony? Okay, here I come. <laughs> what? I'm at surprise party. The other thing too, and this might be because De Niro is old as shit, but I don't think it was. The way that he shoots a gun is so not cool yeah, dude. and so like practical. And yeah, and it's like, it's very like close. And it's just, I just have to hit the person in the head. Yeah. I do yeah. not have to like turn the gun to the side. No, no I don't ego. have to parkour off the yeah. wall. When, when they go, I think it's when they kill Sal. Sal. Sal comes out with his big glasses and it's Frank and another guy. And he's just like, oh, hey, guys. <laughs> but yeah, they both look like the dorkiest you've ever shot a revolver <laughs> and they're just like ping 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 based on that whole birthday party thing where oh it's tony's birthday if you're sal and you see frank coming up the sidewalk yeah like can you feel confident at all i'd Get run the right fuck back out into of- that psych psychic den or whatever well that's like where he won't sit in front of the strangler even though he knows mm-hmm. that that's not what they're doing right now he won't sit in the car in front of that guy that strangles people and then he ends up killing them <laughs> that guy later right i thought he just had a kink for sitting in fish was that guy like buff um jason schwartzman or what yeah yeah, yes. I think that, yeah. That is, the, the household here decided that as well <laughs> what the hell is with that ears scene the ears character in a movie that's three and a half hours long having a scene that seems to have no point at all is that a good call to well so i think it's w- trying to be funny uh it's showing you never you can never trust anybody what's going on but it's it showed up later that ears was the cia yeah and so i think it was trying to plant like oh the cia was funding the mob the whole time yeah, like I, I think this is a movie about the mob, but this is also a movie about like flaming the country shit so everybody can see. Like, and yeah, just like this weird constant cold war that was almost akin to like Mad Magazine Spy versus Spy, <laughs> where everyone's stupid, everyone fucks up. But yeah, it like if uh, to save a little bit of time, but it would have been less funny is find a guy with big ears. But yeah. instead, they found a guy with normal ears, and he's like, I know what you're fucking looking at. I got <laughs> yeah. su- I fixed them, okay? Ear reduction surgery. <laughs> um, when Russell Buffalino says higher-ups, who are the higher-ups? Is that higher-up in the mob, or is it like... Yeah, I think there's people yeah. like that are in charge of Angelo, Harvey Keitel's character, uh-huh. and they're so, you know, they're so behind closed curtains. They're so up there we don't that see them. yeah, we we can't. They just straight are the Bushes and the Kennedys. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah I eventually both Ketel sides come Salerno. together at the top. <laughs> so I, it seemed like Tony Salerno and Kaitel were like the highest up, at least that we got to see, but there's even like the shadowy Illuminati of the mob. Yeah, that I was just I was wondering about that cuz I feel like there's a layer to the mob that we always see in movies like this and they're always alluding to some other layer and I'm like is that like people in Italy or where The vampires. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that sounds cool. <laughs> I watched uh, the I watched the scene 
of the like Frank's big huge life celebration party with Scorsese doing uh, commentary over it. Uh-huh. And when Joe Pesci and Robert De Niro are upstairs talking before that one comedian comes up, Crazy Joe, um, they're looking down and they look at um, Angelo and Hoffa shake hands. And Scorsese's like, this doesn't make sense for the characters. They wouldn't do this. But Harvey Keitel and Al Pacino had never been in a scene before. So what the fuck? I just shot that real quick. That's adorable. <laughs> I know, dude. It just it makes me like him more, not less. Let them do a little handshaking. Well, it is award season, gentlemen, so it is time to start handing out awards to this movie when we come back. There is simply nothing better than awards, and they mean so much to each and every one of us. So let's get right to it. If we were giving out an award for the best pound for pound performance of the film, who's it going to? Mike? I wanted so argue to figure out why it should be Jesse Plemons or like, yeah. like a side character. This who just question is a it. trap, but, and I'm sure at someday we'll get to our, uh, Alec Baldwin, uh, mm-hmm. in always be selling. Like we'll, we'll find that movie, but this is not the season for it. Uh, and for the, the specific, uh, scenes we talked about before and the rest of the movie, it has to be De Niro. Ryan, can you disagree with that? Well, first of all, I want to comment, Mike, do you understand that you, you're Jesse Plemons love? Uh, you, the, this actor that you love because he's like this chubby, pale redhead who you can remember being <laughs> thin but isn't anymore. You understand where all that comes from, right? <laughs> oh, now I do. Uh, it's Pesci. It's I'm so glad they asked 50 times and not 49. I I think that he owns the screen by doing very little for the first time. Because let's not uh, just think about his Goodfellas and Casino characters, but. If you also think about the Lethal Weapon movies yeah. and Home Alone. the Home Alone movies, <laughs> like this is not uh, a understated actor. And for him to just say like, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll do your stupid movie, but I'm going to do only this. I, I cannot believe how well it worked. Yeah. And I think it, it makes a case for like if you're in and Mike, you might have said this earlier. If you're in that position in the mob, you're not the hothead. Right, you, because you can't, you won't last. You won't make it. I'm going to give that one to Ryan. Joe Pesci wins pound for pound performance in the movie. Boo. How about cringiest moment in the movie, Ryan? I mean, again, it's hard to do this in 2019 because everyone's trying to be woke. And a lot of the classically cringy moments were very much on purpose. The one that really struck out, stuck out to me was um, Al Pacino and Al Capone from Boardwalk. Yeah, yeah. That guy's so good. Underrated actor. I love that, guy, that guy contended for Pound for Pound Stephen Graham, for sure. I want to say. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So good. Um they're screaming, and then uh, we already know that Al Pacino's against Italians, but he says, you people. Uh-huh. And then Stephen Graham says, what do you mean by you people? And that's, that's uh, so, uh, to me, it feels like a conversation that's only started over the last, like, four years. Uh-huh. It, fe- it feels like jammed in in a way to make a conversation more modern. There's no way that that conversation would have gone down like that. It also felt weird for a white guy saying it to another white guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then Robert Downey Jr. walks in, and he's like, what do you mean by you people what do you say mike what's the cringiest moment for you i i think again we talked about it before it's the five or six times it looks like anna paquin's gonna have a great monologue and the movie's just like no and drags the camera away from her yeah there's three points uh where she opens her mouth and you can hear scorsese scream cut and then it just goes <laughs> to the next scene does he hate her so the winner of the cringiest moment is anna paquin not getting to speak in the movie that she was in all right, so the next award goes to director's signature moment. What is the signature moment for Scorsese in this mic? This feels very much, uh, it's in the middle of the movie when Hoffa starts going around the country and Frank's fully in with Hoffa. We don't see the mob for a long time. And there's, it's just like a montage quickly with De Niro's voiceover over it and that's like oh this is what every parody of Scorsese <laughs> does like community's chicken fingers I mean not just parody like airplane parody but also every wannabe thinks that they can right. do Scorsese this is how they do it and he's just the fucking king he's just the king mm-hmm. do you have that same moment Ryan no I have uh, we were talking about rock and roll editing before and a lot of this movie takes place during Scorsese's favorite time in music, you know, like Mike, you mentioned the Rolling Stones and he loves that, like, uh, that sixties to seventies wall of sound, um, you know, black and white music, finally intermingling. Um, it was all at that time and he just didn't use it. He used Mm -hmm. old man music. He used pre doo-wop music. You know, it starts off with in the still of the night and it doesn't really get much more modern from there. And I think that's him just saying, this is not Goodfellas. This is not Casino. 
the editing and the music are going to still coexist and still talk to each other, but with none of that like dancey percussion that you're used to. I like that, but I'm going to give it to Mike. I like those those quick cuts, the montage style stuff. All right, so now we're going. I to do like mine better. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, yours is also very good. So the awards, our signature awards for this movie, the first one is Worst Pacino Delivery. Now, this is sort of premised on my believing that this Pacino performance is bad. Do most people feel that way, or am I alone in that? I think it's his best in a long time. I think that it is, I think it speaks to the movie. Like, I think it works. I think it fits. I actually like it. it it's definitely like fifth place or sixth place for me, but not bad. That's still pretty yeah, high. When the board handed us that award, I thought it would be cartoonish. And I was like, this... It feels true to Hoffa. Like, there's nothing, anything that rings untrue here. I do feel like there are scenes, particularly the scene where he's, like, freaking out, that enters into cartoonish Al Pacino territory. We also have a Matthew Lillard from the end of Scream amount of spittle coming out of his mouth. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, but just to uh, give it to me here, what are the worst Pacino deliveries? Uh, I mine is uh, him saying I'm saying to the best of my recollections I must rely on my memory I don't remember <laughs> and there's a way that you're like oh the character is being very cute here but he delivers it as if the character truly believes uh-huh. that <laughs> and it, it did not gel <laughs> and now non-patreon people we know from trivia that he was only using his memory of what it was like <laughs> back then so he's fucking lying <laughs> Can, can I say my best? Because we're, we're, if we're shitting up Pacino, there is at, at the end of his scream rant, he calms down. He goes, I'm going to prison. You understand? <laughs> it's the quietest he is the whole thing. I'm like, oh, this guy feels broken by that fact. And that is great. Uh, Ryan, what do you say is the worst Pacino delivery? The one that I was hoping for was when he says, I, I got a Sunday for me and a Sunday for Peggy. That is it. And then they cut away before he was like, not for you and fuck you and you little kid. You're not getting a Sunday. Ooh, <laughs> But uh, my favorite Pacino in general line was he says to Robert De Niro, um, in a war, you go from point A to point B. Sometimes you spill a little beer along the way. And I love the mixed metaphor, old man bullshit of that. But then he follows it up with then saying that philosophy makes sense to you. Like, just say your crazy (laughs) shit and then don't ask people if it makes sense. And then Robert De Niro has no choice but to say, yeah, it sure does. No, it doesn't. But way to be a soldier, Frank. (laughs) That is absolute nonsense. Uh, I'm going to give it to Mike and the congressional testimony one. I was really hoping for the one where Al Pacino really forgets his line in the middle of that rant and stands there trying to figure it out and then pounds his hand on the desk because he can't remember the name. <laughs> can't remember some of his name. Did you guys watching this Hoffa? I don't know anything about Hoffa. I don't know if this was accurate or not, but did you guys see like an incredible Richard Nixon biopic in Pacino. It felt like he was just oh, doing yeah. Nixon the entire time. <laughs> uh-huh. Maybe that's just dudes from that era. <laughs> this, is, this is one of the few times I've heard Pacino do a voice. He kind of always does his own voice, but he was really pushing this into the upper register, like up into the, the top of his throat. All right. How about for the next award, Scorsese winks at his past. What is the moment where Scorsese is most acknowledging his filmmaking past? Ryan? This, I, I mean, I think this is a slam dunk. I think the movie starts with the, you know, the the one take of going through yeah. the old folks' home as if it were uh-huh. the Copacabana from Goodfellas. Yeah. And we're not ready yet to understand when we're first seeing that um, exactly how important that is, how Scorsese this Scorsese movie is going to be. But what a way to say, I'm gonna maybe it shouldn't be my most famous shot of all time, but look, it is. Society has decided. So I'm going to hit you with it right away and let you know that this is the kind of movie we're doing. It's going to be slower. It's going to be grosser and older, different, like way less peppy music. And then we're going to land on Robert De Niro as he looks now, which is uh, nobody's ever been older. (laughs) Father time himself, Robert De Niro. What do you say, Mike? Yeah, there's no way it's not that opening shot. It, it fe- it's the only time that it also felt winking. Like, the other times, if there's reference, it's like, that's just stuff he does. But this feels like, I know what I'm doing, you know what I'm doing, can we all fucking move on with Let's it? Just can, you imagine getting a, can you imagine getting a wink from that man? Just the, the <laughs> amount of eyebrow movement that must come up and down on that wink. How about the Ray Romano-iest moment? Yeah, I'm gonna, obviously, I'm going to give it to that opening shot because you both picked it. Uh, how about the Ray Romano-iest moment, uh, Mike? Uh, er- early on, Romano, as he often does in this movie, is trying to calm somebody down, 
and and, uh, and what does that sound so like? He's yelling, and he's like, oh, okay, Deborah, you can't blame anybody for that. Uh, but his he his hand, one hand is on his hip, almost for his gump height, and the other hand is like backwards how you would have it in there. And he's trying to calm Hoffa down, and just so like you don't belong in this world, and that's why you, like they need you. Yet you- another reason why this Forrest Gump remake was just pitch perfect. <laughs> what do you say, Ryan? Uh, when he's in court, he's defending Hoffa. And this is when there's like this faux assassination attempt and uh, it happens at the end of his line. And so uh, Ray Romano like rushes through his line and then it has to finish it. Like you, you got to get all the words out. But as he's saying, it just dives and sprints under the table and gets far away from any of the action that's going on. <laughs> I'll give it to his posture and his Ray Romano sounding intonations in his voice. So pound for pound performance of the film goes to Pesci cringiest moment and a pack when not getting to talk director's signature moment that big um what was director's signature moment ryan de niro's like a uh, big o- voiceover montage yeah worst pacino delivery was the testimony scorsese scorsese winks at his past was the opening and ray romano's just general demeanor <laughs> and being all the kids what are we gonna do well, that is the awards. That means we have come to the end of the show. I am going to tabulate the scores, see which one of these knuckleheads is going to be my bestie for the resty, and then we will talk about how we think this movie is going to do in the bracket overall when we come back. And we're back. I have tabulated the scores. Ryan, you scored 30 points. 30. What the fuck? Little Irishman there. That's a very good score. And Mike, you scored 28. So that's less. So Ryan, you won. Oh, shit. You are the best friend. Master of tension. This weekend. <laughs> Ryan, for the rest of this weekend. Oh, wait. Actually, this is the last show of this season before we go into like the, the end of the season stuff, right? This is the last movie that we're covering. Isn't that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, this is it. I mean, Patreon listeners, they get one more movie. Um, they're going to hear us uh, talk about cats, and that oh, will be on the Patreon-only feed. So really, this is the t- even if it's just for one month, this is the time to jump on that pa- Patreon bandwagon. But, uh, yeah, when the poor people hear us next, uh, it will be giving out awards and talking about the best movie of 2019. I can't wait for the cat show to just be like, so, gentlemen, let me ask you this. What? What's... <laughs> huh? What? Which one was Mr. Mistopheles? Taste buds, I ask you. So this. Ryan clearly won. He's clearly the best friend. How do we think this movie is going to do in the bracket? We've seen all the movies now. How is it going to do against the rest? I will say this. I'm not sure that a rewatch... And I'll, I'll just speak for me, but I would appreciate it also if I can speak for you two as well. Please do. Um, I don't know if a rewatch and a discussion has helped any movie more than this movie. Mm. Yeah, I agree with that definitely. Yeah, both on both both accounts. Like, and if you guys had come in and said like, "Ah, this movie's okay, but it's kind of boring," I think I would have been less swayed. But you guys both loved it so much, and I was like, "Yeah, this is a pretty good movie." What do you think, Mike? <laughs> yeah, I, I've only watched it the one time, and I got to tell you, I'm not going to watch a three hour <laughs> and a half hour movie again before next week. We did it, but uh, Dad did it. But it had been months in between. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I think it, it has a chance. It, it, it'd be hard. It would have to be a pretty bad Scorsese movie to say he doesn't have a chance of taking it down. Well, I mean, yeah. and that's happened, you know, like, did you guys see right. Kundun? No. Well, no, I refuse. What is there's, that? I mean, there's a lot of people who don't like Hugo, which won like eight Academy Awards. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is... Shutter Island gets poo-pooed. This is his sort of, like, we get to see him at his Goodfellas and his Silence. Was that the Adam Driver monk yeah. one? Yeah. Oh shit! You want to talk about a slow movie. movie? Silence is a slow movie. But we get to see both of those Scorseses in the first movie, in the same movie for the first time, and I think that it was incredible. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fight for it. This is gonna be my magnolia of 2019. Well, I'm excited to see that. Good luck to you, Irishman. I hope you don't run afoul of any of us. Next week, we will be doing the show to, the, I guess, the first round to see who is going to move on. But until then, when you're on the internet, Ryan, what sites should people go check out? Uh, there's yourpotfilter.com, which is the our host site. It has all of our podcasts. If you don't really understand how to do podcasts, you if you like log on to AOL and hope to hear sound come from your computer, other than you've got mail, then go to yourpotfilter.com, and that's your place where you can get every single one of our podcasts. 
And there's pictures of us, I think. You have to dig, but you can see what we look like on yourpotfilter.com. Gross. Also, I mentioned it before, but uh, patreon.com slash yourpotfilter is the way that you can get all of the content. Um, you don't have to listen to all of it, but you at least have the option to. And I just, I like the options. I think $5 a month is worth having options. Yeah, maybe you don't like options, but we're big fans of options here. On social media, on Twitter, you can find us at your pop filter. I'm at Pensive Gorilla. Mike, what's your handle on Twitter? At microphone yo. Very good. Very easy to remember. Very easy to spell. You can email us uh, at contact or contact at yourpopfilter.com or Instagram at yourpopfilter as well. Our music is provided by Shady Monk. Guys, I feel like that's it. We have other podcasts, Superhero Show Show, OCD. The OCD. Right? These, we got a lot of stuff, you guys. Okay? Just, just try to engage with us a little bit. We're movers yeah, we're out there doing something. What are you doing? Oh, when does this come out? Does this come out this week? No, this is going to come out. a couple out. weeks. Yeah. It comes out today, the well, day that they're listening to it. It came out the day, so go look. Shady Monk is doing a digital concert with a bunch of other people. Go look for that on his handles. It was a blast. We That's the cool thing about digital concerts, I'm assuming, is that if you missed it, you can still watch it, right? I think so. And really, with the kind of music he makes, I love it. It's great. But uh, do you need to be there live? Probably not. Listen to the bleep lorps in the comfort of your <laughs> Well, next week we are going to start narrowing down these movies, the films of 2019. But hey, until then, keep watching them movies.